welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101, I will be talking all things Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, with Kristen Carter, an ADHD expert, a top podcast host, and an internationally recognized life coach for adults with ADHD. Kristen has been studying ADHD and its effects on students and adults for over a decade and has had the privilege of learning directly from leading psychiatrists and psychologists in the industry. I am so pleased to get the opportunity to talk to her today and to learn so much more about this disorder. I'm going to start by asking you, Kristen, can you tell us what ADHD is? Absolutely. So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And what it means (laughs) is that it's characterized by being easily distracted, by being very impulsive, having difficulty stopping activities or behavior, trouble following through on things that you say that you're going to do. Uh, we have a really hard time doing things in sequential order, which can be a very big problem for adults. And often there's this like internal feeling of restlessness or impatience. Something that's really interesting about ADHD and the ADHD brain is that we have lower levels of dopamine or fewer dopamine receptors to be exact, but essentially it's lower amounts of dopamine in our brain, which means that like the boring mundane tasks that every adult just has to do can be very difficult for us, which is why we often look lazy or unmotivated. It's because our reward system is broken in a sense. So we need higher amounts of stimulation in order to feel that dopamine rush, that reward from doing the things just like the basic things, which is why we can solve like really incredibly complex problems at work. But then we get home and we can't even do the dishes or mow the lawn or keep the laundry going, right? So like the complex things that keep our interest, we can be very amazing at, but the simple things are very, very difficult. And one thing that I want to say before we move on is that ADHD has nothing to do with intelligence at all. It's not related to your intelligence. You can be extremely intelligent or you can have some cognitive deficiencies. Intelligence doesn't impact ADHD's presence. So ADHD can be there in people who are extremely intelligent and in people who struggle cognitively as well. That's really interesting because I think often people associate ADHD with kids who get distracted easily, oh, they're in the classroom, they're obviously not intellectual, they're not academic, therefore you get slightly dismissed. Absolutely. And that, I think, is the biggest barriers that adults with ADHD face right now is that most people, most of your friends, your family, your colleagues, and even some of your doctors are viewing ADHD as a childhood disorder, but it's not. Most people do not grow out of having ADHD. If you're diagnosed in childhood, you carry it on through adulthood. So what are the most common behavioral traits associated with ADHD? 
Okay, so it's interesting. ADHD is very complex. It seems simple, and that's what gets us all into so much trouble because it's not simple. It's extremely complex. So I'm going to describe to you some of the symptoms, but then we need to also talk about the impairments, which are like the outworkings of the symptoms. So ADHD affects your executive functioning and your executive functions are housed in your frontal lobe. And that's where ADHD really shows up in impairments. So our frontal lobes literally look different than a neurotypical brain's frontal lobe. And in that frontal lobe is a set of executive functions. So it affects your nonverbal working memory, which is your mind's eye. And believe it or not, this affects your sense of time. So somebody with ADHD is going to be essentially time blind. That's what Dr. Russell Barkley calls it. You're time blind. You can't even have a sense of time. It also affects your verbal working memory, which is your mind's voice, essentially that inner dialogue that helps all humans regulate themselves. We do not have that. And so we struggle so much with self-regulation, keeping our attention focused on the proper thing, regulating our behavior to do the right thing at the right time, and managing our emotions. That is another huge component of ADHD is that we really struggle to manage our emotions, which means we can be really explosive. Planning and problem solving, disaster. Organization, complete disaster. I want to make a caveat here. We can problem solve the fun, complex problems that we're confident on that we can see at work where we're just like, oh, I know exactly how to do this, right? But when it comes to like, okay, I have two hours and I have to do the grocery shopping, I have to do the laundry, I have to pick up my kids from soccer, I have no idea how to do it. I'm just going to sit here and stare at my phone because I don't, I don't even know where to start. I'd like to say that we're gratification junkies. We love gratification. We love, we want immediate pleasure. And the reason for that is the uh, lack of dopamine that we're experiencing. And so if I have a choice between doing the dishes or watching Netflix, you better believe I'm going to be watching Netflix. I don't care about those dishes. The dishes can wait. I really, we struggle to see the long-term effects. I struggle to care that tomorrow I'm not going to have any clean dishes. Who cares? Because right now I want to eat ice cream and watch Netflix. For those with a hyperactive presentation of ADHD, we can be very restless, agitated, and that internal chugga, 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 always going can be debilitating. It often doesn't look like hyperactivity on the outside because we're grown adults and we really uh, know how to show up in society, at least to a certain extent. So we're not going to be bouncing off the walls. We're not going to be running around the room, but we are going to be playing the last four Star Wars movies in our mind while you're looking at us and talking to us. We're internally restless and our minds are always going. Our memories suck. So a lot of times, and again, we we really look like we don't care because our partner will say, hey, can you pick up milk on your way home from work? And we're like, absolutely. And then we hop into the car and we're distracted by the podcast we're listening to. And all of a sudden, it's left our brain. So we get home and our partner says, did you pick up the milk? And we're like, crap. And then what happens is like, our partner's like, I needed that for dinner. How we get, we need to feed the kids. And there's a big explosion because of our own 
memory impairment. It looks like we don't care. It's not that we don't care. We just need to understand that we have to externalize our memory. Right. So how do you then discipline your mind to start to focus and to start to become aware of say, okay, right, I need to pick up the milk on my way home from work. I need to pay attention to this interview because that's what I'm focusing on. I need to get X, Y, and Z done before I move on to watching the Netflix series. How do you do that? It starts with taking ADHD seriously, which I think is very difficult for adults because society downplays it, the medical community downplays it, a lot of people are downplaying it. The truth is the way that we are going to be able to be disciplined, be focused, and show up as our true authentic selves in the best way that we can is take it seriously be diagnosed with it if we actually have it, be medicated for it in whatever capacity that looks like for you. There are stimulants, there are non-stimulants. For most people, there's only about 10% of the ADHD population that medication does not work for. It is the most treatable mental health condition. So Dr. Russell Barkley, I love his work, and he over and over says, ADHD is the most treatable mental health condition. We see the best outcomes for people who are medicated. So that is a huge component. And then really accepting what it means to have ADHD. So as someone who understands the impairments, I know that all of these things are going to be distracting. So I don't fool myself into thinking, oh no, I'm fine. Oh no, I don't need any support or help. I know that I have to put a sign on my door that says like, please do not disturb. I have to close the blinds to make sure I can't see out of my windows. I have to put on my headphones so I'm not hearing the people next to me. I have to really put my own impairments at the forefront of my mind and ask myself, okay, what do you need to succeed in this moment? Am I medicated? You better believe it. Am I caffeinated? Absolutely. Did I like close the blinds, do all the things? Yes, because while I am a high functioning ADHD or at this point, it is still an impairment in my life. And if I don't take it seriously, I'm going to look like I don't care, even when I do. You kind of alluded to the hyperactivity element of mm. ADHD. So what is the difference between ADHD and ADD in a behavioral sense? So Psychologists now are using the term ADHD exclusively, but there are three presentations. So there is inattentive presentation, which is like the old version of ADD, okay? And so inattentive looks more like a lower energy, much more spacey, very forgetful, classic ADD that we would have called 10 years prior. Hyperactive, you're going to be very restless agitated. And again, I want to really make the distinction that adults have learned that they can't be physically restless and agitated, so we internalize it. It's all in the mind. So your mind is racing a mile a minute. You're thinking about a 100 things at the same time. You probably have trouble sleeping. You probably are trying to do a 100 things at one time. Okay? So that's hyperactive presentation. Most ADHDers are combined type. And so most ADHDers have a little bit of the inattentive 
portion, a little bit of the hyperactive portion. And so there's just a combined type of ADHD. It is a terrible name for the disorder. I have heard that people say that they are trying to get it renamed into an executive function disorder or a self-regulation disorder, which I think is much more appropriate. Right now, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, it's a trash name, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, as soon as you say attention deficit, it implies that someone just has an inability to focus. Right. And that's the problem with ADHD is that all of our symptoms and impairments are things that the general population struggles with from time to time. And so it's very hard to explain to someone how very debilitating it can be for you because everyone's like, well, yeah, I I struggle to focus sometimes. I'm forgetful sometimes. I struggle with being time blind once in a while. The difference is that for someone with ADHD, it is impairing their life in more than one area. So it has to be impairing you maybe at home, you know, with your home tasks, at school, if you're a student, at work or in social relationships, it has to show impairments in more than one area of your life. So what do you think triggers ADHD? Do you think it is entirely genetic or do you think Mm. circumstances play into it at all? ADHD is very inheritable. So it's as inheritable as height. It's passed down through families. That being said, I don't believe that it is exclusively a genetic component. There was a recent study led by Anders Borglum. I'm sure I'm not saying his last name correctly. It just came out very, very recently that shows a genetic component to ADHD. A lot more research needs to be done, but it is very fascinating. I'm hoping that because ADHD is so trendy right now, I'm hoping that a lot more scientists and psychologists will be inspired to do more and more research so that we can gain clarity because there's so much more to be learned. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. I think that it's there's probably a genetic component. Obviously, the research shows that there is. I think that there's also a trauma component. And when I say trauma, I do not mean something catastrophic. I mean the impact of not being raised in a completely safe, nurturing, loving environment having an emotionally absent parent or being parentified by one of your parents, those kinds of things can leave lasting impacts and it definitely changes our brain development. So the answer is yes. I think there are many factors that go into it. With the treatment of ADHD, do you have therapy or is it purely behavioral therapy and medication that is meant to treat it? I think that we need a wide variety of support. But from what I've seen, I've coached thousands of adults with ADHD. From what I've seen, the foundation of that support, the best foundation is medication. Medication alone can be life-changing. It was for me. The first time that my grades went on the refrigerator, I was 20, 21 years old. It was the first time I was medicated for ADHD. I was a college junior, I think. So my third year of university. And it was my own refrigerator that I put them on. But I was so proud that my grades were consistently A's and B's rather than D's and A's. The medication alone allowed me to function at a much higher level. Then you can keep a job. Then you can maybe have the means to pay for the other kinds of supplemental therapies. So as an ADHDer myself who has been researching this disorder, talking to all of the leading experts for the last 10 years, I take medication, I 
go to therapy weekly. I have two coaches that I use. I ask for a lot of help, a lot of help. So I implement all of the support. You don't just like grow out of it. You don't graduate from it. It's setting yourself up with all of the support that you need so that you can function as the fullest version of yourself. So that's a great segue actually into my next question about age. When do people tend to develop ADHD? Is it something that starts in childhood or can it develop in adulthood? If you have ADHD, what I used to say is that if you have ADHD, you were born with it. What I will say now is that it develops in early childhood. And the reason for that is that I'm much more trauma-informed now. And so I understand Yes, trauma can happen in the womb, but usually it's infancy, early childhood, et cetera. If you decide to get an assessment, you will be asked about your childhood. And what I have learned is that they used to require you to be able to identify symptoms prior to age 12. They've recently changed that to now you have to be able to identify symptoms prior to age 16. And I think that's really, really wonderful because here's the thing about adults with ADHD. We struggle to remember. So when a clinician asks, how did this affect you in childhood? You might not have any memory of that. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't present. It just means that you don't have a great memory of that, especially if you're estranged from your family or you don't have great family connections where you can have these conversations and say, mom, you know, what was I like? How did... Most parents are going to be very dismissive of your childhood symptoms because if they don't dismiss the fact that they saw symptoms in your childhood, then they will have to take ownership for the fact that they did see symptoms in your childhood and they didn't do anything about it. So it would be really great if you can find report cards, if you can find especially progress reports. Most ADHDers progress reports sound like this, has great potential. If they would just apply themselves, they could be excelling in this class. That is a hallmark progress report for someone with ADHD. But a lot of people are discovering ADHD in their adulthood because it is so much information about it is so much more widespread. It's clear then from your answer that actually if you're diagnosed later on, the likelihood of you having had it as an adolescent is really, really high. 100%. Statistically, most women are diagnosed in their late 30s and early 40s because of the onset of perimenopause. Our dopamine levels go way, way down when we hit perimenopause. And so the ADHD symptoms that we were able to control prior to that get much more exacerbated. So statistically speaking, most women, um, if they weren't diagnosed in childhood, are being diagnosed in their late 30s, early 40s. But a lot of adults are being diagnosed now, and I think it's absolutely wonderful. So is it more common amongst boys or girls, ADHD? ADHD is diagnosed much more often in boys than in girls. That wasn't really an answer to your question, right? You asked if it was more common. I believe that it is likely equal in boys and girls, but boys are more often diagnosed because unknowingly clinicians 
are really discriminatory, honestly. And they're looking for the classic symptoms. The little boy in the classroom is kind of bouncing off the walls. That's really what they're looking for diagnostically and not taking into account how it might present in women and girls, which would be much more internal. So girls are going to hide it as much as possible on the outside there's so much more pressure on women and girls to be proper, to be sweet, to be kind, to not interrupt, to sit and wait your turn. And so, so much of a woman's ADHD struggle is internal, massive amounts of shame. I <laughs> used to love the show Friends and Monica has this closet of shame. Oh, she has like this closet that's really messy. So I would always joke that I have a closet of shame, a massively disorganized, overflowing, can't find anything. And I would just like shove everything into those closets, pretend that my home was tidy and organized when it really wasn't. I mean, that is just like, let me just hide and mask and pretend that I'm functioning, that I'm the the world's best housewife when really I, I don't know how to organize. I don't know how to handle any of this. I don't know how to take care of my stuff. And it's just massively disorganized. And can you ever confront that chaos? So if someone's messy and they have a weekly sort of tidy up or a monthly tidy up, mm. is that an indication that they're not ADHD? They're maybe just slightly chaotic and, and messy. No, I mean, messiness is not a diagnostic criteria, obviously, right? But it is one of those things that we see in ADHDers. Absolutely, people with ADHD can be very clean and organized, especially with the comorbidity of OCD and or anxiety. And so a lot of, especially women, are going to be driven by the anxiety of wanting to look like a proper housewife. And so that anxiety is what gives us the push to clean and organize. And it kind of overrides that like difficulty with organization, problem solving and planning. That's a great segue. You mentioned comorbidities, which I also mm. want to focus on because there is a lot of overlap between ADHD and OCD, as I'm slowly recognizing and addiction because as you mentioned with mm. the dopamine levels in the brain being slightly well distorted and, and needing that absolute hit there must be a lot of ADHD sufferers who resort to addiction resort to say exercise addiction drugs alcoholism not only to numb the pain but also just to get that dopamine hit so we speak a bit about that Absolutely. So it's very common to have a comorbidity with ADHD that would be either anxiety, depression, or OCD. Those are the top three comorbidities. And a lot of times, again, especially for women, we are diagnosed first with anxiety and depression. So diagnosed and treated for anxiety and depression, and it just doesn't seem to fit and the treatment doesn't really work and we're confused and we think it's our fault. A lot of times underlying that anxiety and depression is untreated ADHD. And so when you can treat the ADHD and solve for that, then the anxiety and depression really can lessen. This is not for everyone across the board, but we often see that that happens. And as far as addiction is concerned, it's fascinating the studies that show that addiction is much more likely and pervasive in people who are untreated for ADHD. And what society wants to tell us, what you know, your auntie wants to tell you is like the ADHD medications are actually addictive. What's 
important to understand is that for someone with ADHD, the medication is not addictive. It is solving the problem of addiction. And so that is really, really important to know. And yes, there is a lot of addiction related to ADHD, especially if you're untreated. Massive amounts of drug use, self-medicating is really what's going on, right? Because there is something happening neurologically, neurodevelopmentally, internally. I don't mean to catastrophize it, but we are not okay. We have a neurodevelopmental disorder that needs to be cared for and treated. And so if we're not going to do that with medication, we're going to do it with something. And so what are the other things that we're going to do? The reason why I went on medication for the second time after I had my kids was because I found myself drinking in the middle of the day. I had three little kids at home with me. The house was chaos. I was running a business. I owned a learning center. I was a professional. I was an expert in my field. I could not handle my life. And I was day drinking. And not to get drunk, but enough to take the edge off. And I was like, well, this is probably not okay. And when I finally like realized what was happening, like, okay, every day at 2 p.m., I'm like, I can't handle life. I need something outside of me to help. I realized that like, oh yeah, I haven't been medicated for ADHD since I had my third child. And so I went right back to that doctor and I was like, help, please help. I don't have shame about that. I think it makes sense because I was not okay. I needed help. I had it in my brain for about a 10-year period. I was trying to treat ADHD naturally with supplements. I was going to see a naturopath. I was doing all of the things that I thought would be very healthy. And for some people, that is enough. For me, it wasn't. It just wasn't enough. And so I finally decided to go back on medication and it changed everything for me. So for someone with ADHD, is medication a lifelong sentence in your opinion, or does Mm. the natural route work for some people? That's such a difficult question to answer because what I want to say is absolutely you can treat it naturally and absolutely you can like just change your diet and blah, blah, blah. In my experience, anecdotally for myself, but also coaching and having a large community of ADHDers, ADHD medication is going to be a part of my life personally until the day that I die. That's what it's going to be for me. That doesn't need to be everybody's choice. And I think we go through seasons where we might need that support more than others. But I will say in the seasons where I thought, oh, I could probably do it without the medication, it was self-sabotaging. Truly, everything went downhill. And so I would just really say, at least personally, I have accepted that this is the way of it. That's what I've accepted personally. That doesn't mean that's for everybody. And for some people, like for me, I had to go through that period of not being medicated, trying all the natural things, seeing if I could just, quote unquote, heal it on my own. You know, I have two kiddos with ADHD. And when I think about, and one actually additionally has OCD. And when I think about them being medicated forever and ever, that really gives me pause. (laughs) I struggle with that. It's really hard to think about that. They're 14 and 12. And I'm like, wow, they've got like 80 more years to live. Are we just feeding the pharmaceutical company so much money? But then when I look at the difference between who they were pre-medication 
and who they are post-medication, it's undeniable. And that's the truth for me as well. And people with ADHD, it's really tragic, but they do often end up by ending their Mm. own lives because of that impulsive streak within them. And why do you think this is? Is it the depressive element of it? And how can we maybe do more to stop this? I will say that shame is a common thread in adults with ADHD. We just really carry around massive amounts of shame. A lot of that is because these symptoms of this disorder seem very trivial and they really seem like character flaws. Oh, you struggle with being late? Get a watch. Oh, you struggle with organization? Make a list. Oh, you struggle with emotional explosions? Get some self-control. It's like the symptoms seem trivial and they seem like character flaws. And so the internal shame can be so massively debilitating. And so that alone is for some too much to bear. Also, we've talked about this a couple of times. Society really minimizes the severity of the disorder. And so a lot of people are not being treated for it. Obviously, you mentioned impulsivity. And I think also just like overall lack of support. If we can bring it back to childhood trauma, not having our own needs met, not knowing how to meet our needs, not knowing how to ask for our needs to be met, it can be very isolating and people can feel really, really alone. And so I think the antidote to this is really being cautious not to minimize ADHD as a childhood disorder, not to minimize it as something that is just character flaws and annoying and like these people are just impulsive and obnoxious, but really understanding that there's so much more going on behind the scenes that deserves support and treatment. It is covered, at least in America, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. It it is seen as a disability, and there are a lot of supports and accommodations that people can use. But I think it takes a lot of vulnerability to say, I need help. And so I really, really, really sympathize, empathize, and send so much compassion to people who are struggling under the weight of that. Well, it's been such an illuminating conversation. And I think you're an incredible inspiration for fellow sufferers and for anyone who wants to know more about ADHD, I mean, you're just sort of have your encyclopedic knowledge of it. So it's been such an honor and a privilege to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission.